the choir, Steve, musicians, what a beautiful uh, hymn that I hope we always remember and recall. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, this morning we continue our journey through Acts and hitting some of the highlights. And I came to a passage in the 18th chapter that it's one of those passages that you sometimes wonder, what do I do with this? Lord, what would you have me to learn from these verses? When last we were in uh, Acts, we were at chapter 18, and we saw how the Lord sent Paul a vision, essentially saying, carry on, weary wayward son. And he gave him that great vision there in uh, Corinth to continue on. Well, I want to start with that vision and read on in Acts chapter 18 through verse 17. So read with me from the Word of God, beginning at Acts chapter 18 and verse, beginning verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Would you bow with me as we pray? Precious Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you as we examine it this morning that we see your glory in the way that you orchestrate matters in life. Father, that may be the greatest lesson that could be learned today, is to see your glory and your hand of providence as you work in the lives of people to accomplish your will. And Father, we pray this morning, if there be anyone listening that has never professed faith in Christ, never believed upon Him as the one way of salvation, Lord, that today they would see the Lord Jesus Christ and believe upon Him for eternal salvation. Thank You for Your Word. May we be faithful to heed it and to understand it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard the story, and I'm not, uh, I can't verify the, the certainty of it, but it's a great story that's attributed to the Polish pianist, or composer, concert pianist, Ignacy Paderewski, who lived at the end of the 18th, 1800s and into the early 1900s. He was a 
concert pianist turned politician and at one time was even the prime minister of Poland. But it's said that once while giving a concert in the United States that Paderewski was awaiting to go onto the stage when the auditorium was being filled with concert goers that had great interest in hearing uh, the great Paderewski as he would play. One mother had brought her mischievous little piano student, her son, that was just, just young enough to begin playing the piano, but he didn't have a lot of interest. And, and she thought maybe seeing the great Paderewski would inspire him. And so she brought him to the concert, and while they're waiting for it to begin and Paderewski to come out, she's conversing with other people and loses sight of her son. Then all of a sudden on the stage, seated at the piano, is that mischievous little boy of hers. The crowd begins to say, what's he doing up there? Someone get him down. Where's his mother? And he begins to peck out on the piano. Chopsticks. At first they chuckled and laughed, and then it turned to anger as the crowd, as the crowd was shouting, Get him down, take him down. Paderewski in the back heard the commotion and he eased out and saw what was happening. And he eases up behind the little boy, pecking away at chopsticks, and he begins to play orchestrating a beautiful arrangement that all the people were then silenced. When I hear that story, I, I, I think of God's orchestrations, of how that in life the world is shouting us down and telling us to get off the stage of life. Be quiet, you can't do it. And yet God is there orchestrating something beautiful out of our lives. I see in this passage of Scripture what I'm calling God's orchestrations. God is at work here in this passage. When we read these verses in chapter 18, we're, we're sometimes thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? What's the practical application for me in Acts chapter 18 and verses 12 through 17? What, how does this benefit me? Well, I want you to see this morning how God is orchestrating these things. He's working it together for His glory. And sometimes that's the most practical thing in life for you, is for God to be at work orchestrating things for His glory, for God's glory to be demonstrated in your life and in my life. God was at work in these verses. You can't you can't argue that. If you back up in the, some of the passages we've already looked at, but from Thessalonica to Berea to, to Athens to Corinth, God was at work. God was at work when He orchestrated the, the, the purge that caused Aquila and Priscilla to leave Rome and come to Corinth. God was at work orchestrating that as there they would assist Paul in the ministry, in the work as tent makers and later on as you find out in reading the scripture. God was at work in the affairs of life, in the events of life, orchestrating things for His glory. God was at work in Paul's life. And though he had been called such 
horrible things in Athens and now he comes to the wicked city of Corinth and, and God was at work in telling Paul in a vision by night, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be silent. Carry on in essence, for I have many people in this city. So this morning I want you to see in these verses that we've read, I want you to see God's orchestration of how He would be glorified in three areas. Number one, I I learn of the glory of God from these verses when I see a lesson about the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Say it another way, God keeps His promises. You ever get tired of hearing that? I hope not. Maybe you do, and that may be a sign of your walk with the Lord right now. But God keeps His promises. He's faithful. How is He faithful in this matter? Well, we read the reason I included the vision in verses 9 and 10. There the Lord said, Don't be afraid, but speak. I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you or harm you. But look what happens. Verse 12, when Galio was proconsul of Achaia. Galio was a well-connected Roman citizen that had been appointed by the emperor. He was a brother to Seneca. Seneca was a a philosopher, the son of a philosopher as well. uh, But Seneca is interesting, his brother... Because he was Nero, yes, that Nero's tutor. And Galileo, Galileo then uh, uh, was appointed after having been in exile. He's now appointed to be the proconsul, governor, judge, grand pupa. <laughs> That's what he is in Achaia. Galileo is appointed as the, uh, uh, the proconsul of Achaia. And the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. You say, well, wait a minute. I I thought the promise God gave Paul back in verse 10 was that no one will attack you to hurt you. Or is a, a better translation to harm you. I see the faithfulness of, of God in these events in verse 12 and following because... God is faithful to keep His Word. He keeps His promise, and He did to Paul. The charge they had against Paul, the Jews, charged Paul with preaching or teaching a message contrary to the Jewish law. And as Paul is getting ready to give a defense, verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, Paul didn't get to speak a word. He didn't say anything. As Galileo, who by all accounts historically was a very well-liked person, eventually, about 14 years later from this event, Galileo would take his own life, he and his brother Seneca, because Nero was out to get him, the one that Seneca had tutored. But Galileo at this point, God... God orchestrates this. Do you see it? God orchestrates this, that when Paul's about to give his defense, he doesn't have to say anything. Galileo speaks up and says, 
If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. He, he had his mind made up. He says, I'll not hear your case. And then the next verse, 16, he drove them from the judgment seat. The judgment seat was an outdoor area. It's literally called the Bema. And it's where the proconsul or the, the leader the, uh, of the region of Achaia, the province of Achaia, it's where they would offer judgments in legal matters. Now, this was an important legal matter. If the Roman government had have seen the message of Paul as being a foreign message, it would have hindered the gospel. But God saw fit to orchestrate the affairs of mankind. Why? So Paul could have an easy life? No, there's many other things awaiting Paul in the, in the future from this point. But at this moment, God was advancing His gospel. He was advancing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. God was at work. And Galileo says that I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the court. Probably what happened is when, when, when they realized that he was saying no to their case, they persisted. They, they pleaded with him, and Galileo drives him. He has the, the lictors, the, uh, uh, the, the bailiffs of the court, to drive them out. And as they get outside, then you see what takes place. Is the Greeks, it says in the New King James Version, but uh, at verse 17, they bring Sosthenes, the leader of the court of uh, the Jewish synagogue, bring him back inside, or back to the Bema, and start beating him. God is faithful. You see what He's doing here. You see how, how, how this demonstrates the faithfulness of God. He kept His promise to Paul. He didn't say, Paul, you'll never be attacked. He says, no one will sit on you to harm you. They may attempt to hurt you, and it may hurt for a moment, but there's glory, eternal glory, beyond this momentary moment of affliction. God is at work demonstrating His. He kept His promise. Can I emphasize to each of us this morning, God keeps His promises. Maybe the greatest lesson you need to hear today is you're burdened about some matter in life is that God keeps His promises to you. Maybe, maybe you're discouraged in your walk with Christ. Remember God's promise, Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will complete it. Got a wayward child? Philippians 1.6 God will complete it. He keeps His promises. We need to anchor ourselves to that eternal truth. Maybe you're struggling in other matters. Remember 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 You may think you have failed. Paul told Timothy even when we are faithless he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I think of John 15 and verse 16 as the Lord Jesus himself said to those apostles. 
He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You're a child of God. You will bear fruit. You will at some point, if you're a genuine child of God, bear fruit. What is the fruit of a Christian? It's the testimony which we bear concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're discouraged. I think of a great passage in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Be encouraged today because of the faithfulness of God. God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for today, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. May the lesson of the faithfulness of God encourage you. He keeps His promises. But as we examine this passage of Scripture, not only do we see God glorified by the faithfulness that He exhibits, keeping His promise, but we see the glory of God in a lesson about the purpose of God. The purpose of God. Or said another way, God's purpose in this matter is not held captive by unbelievers. The, the will of God cannot be held captive by an unbelieving world. What would the chances be that the Roman government, who believed in multiple gods, little g, what would be the chances that the Roman government would give protection to Paul? And to Paul's message. Folks, I tell you, there's no chance involved. There's only a God who orchestrates affairs that is involved. And he brought protection. Galileo was there to do the will of God even though he did not know it. Galileo, there's no record anywhere indicating that Galileo was a believer. There's no other historical evidence that says Galileo in some way or another... Uh, was a friend of Christianity or, or of believers. He didn't live but 14 more years. What, what we see here is a sovereign God orchestrating the protection of His glorious message of how that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised the third day for our justification. I think of an example from the Old Testament of God, God's will not being taken captive by unbelievers. Pharaoh. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show you my power, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. What, what, what's Paul saying? Paul is using Pharaoh as an example of how His will will not be held captive by unbelievers. He says that Pharaoh did everything Pharaoh did. His denials, his refusals, they, they all were a part of God's orchestration, God's plan 
to accomplish His will, to display His power and to extend glory to His name. That's what God's doing. He's orchestrating in the life of Pharaoh. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So often folks in discouragement and such with society, with our our culture, our world, folks will throw up their hands and say, what's God doing? Nothing can seem to happen in this age. We've had people that were wringing their hands when, when, when Barack Obama was President of the United States. Conservatives were thinking, oh, we're in a mess now. And now that, that I guess a conservative or whatever, <laughs> whatever uh, President Trump is, ideologically, there, there are liberals that are wringing their hands. Listen, folks, is Proverbs 21.1 true? Is it a principle in the Scripture or not? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it like the rivers of water wherever he desires. The purposes of God are not held captive by an unbelieving world. You and I have a responsibility according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that we are to pray... We are to pray specifically for kings and those who are in authority. Well, I believe we are to work for change in our government and our world that we live in. We're to be salt and light. But folks, I'm afraid we've tried to work more than we've tried to pray. The Scripture commands us to pray. Why? Because the purposes of God are not going to be thwarted because Trump is in office or Obama is in office or God forbid, had Hillary won. The purposes of God aren't going to be thwarted because of who's occupying America's White House or who's sitting on the dictatorship throne of Iraq or Iran or North Korea. Our God is a faithful God whose purposes will not be held captive by an unbelieving world. It's true in the Scripture for Paul as they weren't held captive, as God used someone like Galileo, and as he, he, he changed uh, the course. Paul didn't even have to offer a defense. What would he have said? Had he, I'm convinced he said what he says at other times f- further on in the book of Acts. Lord willing, we'll get there one day. But he'll give glory to God and witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the central truth of Christianity. He'll, he'll speak of the good news of how Christ bore their sins on the cross of Calvary. God's purposes are not held captive by unbelievers. God is able to work in this world in 2017 today. In spite of evil, God is able to work. Herod couldn't kill him. Nero couldn't crush him. Muhammad couldn't replace him. Hitler couldn't silence him. And Dan Brown cannot explain him away. God is Lord Almighty, omnipotent King, the Lion of Judah, the Rock of Ages, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Provider, Protector, Paternal Leader, Ruling Lord, Reigning King of all the universe. That is our Lord. We see a lesson about the purpose of God. It will not be thwarted 
by an unbelieving world. There's a third lesson and a final lesson that I think we can see in these verses. As they finish their hearing what he said, they are driven out of the court. And verse 17 says, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Now, back in chapter 18 and verse 8, we saw that Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, believed upon him. So apparently the synagogue elected a new. A lot of time has passed here, about a year and a half, according to verse 11. And so now they have a new leader, Sosthenes. Well, they took him and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Sosthenes, we don't know more than what's in the Scripture. That's enough to know. Sosthenes... It's interesting because he, uh, maybe he was the one that brought the case and they felt like he was doing a bad job. There's one of two things taking place here. There's some question about whether or not verse 17 should refer to the Greeks or Gentiles that are doing it. Some suggest it was actually the Jews who beat Sosthenes. If it were the Greeks, non-Jews, it probably was a chance for them to unbottle some of their frustration toward Jews. Anti-Semitism is what's taking place. If it were the Greeks that did this. If it were the Jews themselves, they were frustrated because maybe they sensed Sosthenes was sympathetic to the message of Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, in writing to, back to the church of Corinth years later, says this, Paul, an apostle called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Some are questioning whether or not this is the same Sosthenes. John MacArthur believes it is. Many others do uh, as well. But it proves, number one, it proves that this was a violent bunch and God was protecting Paul. We get that. But it also proves that God will bring good out of conflict. If this Sosthenes in, in Acts 18 is the same as 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, I believe it is, we see how the power of the gospel is greater than any conflict Sosthenes would go through. God took this conflict, these bad events, and He worked good. Out of it. That's the third lesson I see in this is the power of God, the power of the gospel. That He can work in this and bring, bring glory to Himself to bring salvation. Maybe the beating is what led Sosthenes to turn to Christ. What a gracious and merciful God we have. That He would take someone like a Sosthenes who was leading the revolt against. Paul and the message of the gospel. But then God worked the events. He orchestrated the events so that Sosthenes could come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been many that have been dedicated to destroying the gospel that God changed them. God saved them. I think of Paul himself on the Damascus Road, how God crushed that dark heart, that dead heart of Paul. And brought him to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of others through the ages that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I think there are many we need to pray for that will come to faith in Christ. The author, Dan Brown, I mentioned a moment ago, author of um, uh, Da Vinci Code, now a new book called Origins. Dan Brown recently, just within the last couple of weeks, at a book fair in Frankfurt, Germany, Dan Brown said, God cannot survive science. All the gods of our past have fallen, so the question now is, are we naive to think the gods of today won't suffer the same fate? Our need for the exterior God that sits up there and judges us will diminish and eventually disappear. Dan Brown wants to walk in the same shoes as the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who declared God is dead in many or most of his writings. A British census study in 2015 said, Christianity is declining so quickly that experts believe the religion will be statistically non-existent by the year 2067. Some of you may be alive in 2067. The French philosopher Voltaire predicted that Christianity would be extinct within a hundred years of his death. He died 239 years ago, and his estate in Paris is now the home of the French Bible Society, the headquarters. We should be praying for the Sosthenes of our world today. Listen, folks, it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. God is orchestrating things. You're a part of that orchestration. God is working in your life to glorify Himself. We see His glory demonstrated through His faithfulness, through His purpose, and through His power over and over and over again. Maybe there's a Sosthenes here this morning. God is orchestrating the events of your life for His glory. Maybe there's someone else that God's doing a work in your life. And you see His orchestrations. He's at work. So Paderewski stepped out onto stage and he got behind that little mischievous boy. As the boy plunked on the piano, Paderewski began to orchestrate. He began to make an arrangement and to beautifully play. And he whispered in the ears of that little boy, Keep going. You can do it. It's beautiful. Don't stop. I see our orchestrating God stepping up behind us day by day and saying, Keep going. I'm faithful. Keep going. My purposes will not be thwarted by an unbelieving world. Keep going. My power is greater than anything, any conflict you can face. Keep going. Let's pray. While every head's bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're a Sosthenes this morning. God's been bringing conflict into your life to garner your attention, to get you to look to His faithfulness. His promises are true. He keeps them. If you're His child, He'll work these events to, to His glory. Just trust Him. Just rely upon Him. Know His promises and believe them. If you're not His child, maybe He's bringing conflict into your life so that He can break your stubborn will and get you to look to Him for eternal salvation. 
Let Him have His way this morning. Let Him work in your heart to give you new life. To save you. Jesus did all the work necessary on the cross of Calvary. Believe Him, trust Him, rely upon Him today. Father in heaven, thank You for this passage of Scripture, for this Word. Lord, use it in our lives that we'll know better of Your faithfulness, Your purpose, and Your power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.